If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy... You have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. John and I are kind of giggling ahead of our gig that we're going to tonight. We are going to the Sleaford Mods. We're going to the Sleaford Mods in the Olympia this evening. If there are more tickets, I'm not sure. No, I think it's sold out. Uh, I've no idea, but I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Job seeker! Oi! <laughs> is John's. Uh, but we will, we will report on Thursday about our Sleaford Mods session and how it went. But I am really looking what forward is, to this. Do you know why I'm looking forward to it? Apart from the fact that Sleaford Mods are fantastic and they're kind of punk poets straight out of that kind of uh, John Cooper Clark. It's a combination of John Cooper Clock and the Skids or the Ruts. Yeah, together. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But it's the first gig I'm going to since two years. Yeah, I know. But you just know to get out, it's brilliant. Just nice to get out, John. It's nice to get out of the house. <laughs> but I mean, what is what is also fascinating is, in a way, the Sleaford mods they say so much about what's going on in urban England and the dystopia and the rejection and just the sort of what they're singing about is life. They're from Lincolnshire, right? Yeah. Sleaford is in Lincolnshire. So it's the East Midlands. You know, we always talk about the West Midlands. Yeah. You know, which is Wolverhampton and all this. It's the East Midlands. Now, Lincolnshire was the highest Brexit vote in England. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Was all it? those. Wow. So it's kind of a weird one because people didn't really expect, you know, we thought Brexit, you didn't think of these places in the East of England and the Midlands and the Mid-East of England. But that's where a lot of the huge alienation is in, in England. And we, can, we, we forget England is such a huge country. The reason I'm thinking about England, I'm looking to try and help somebody find a flat in London mm. at the moment. And so I've been on lots and lots of English property websites. Unbelievable. It's so difficult to find a place in London. And they're all saying, all these estate agents I was talking to in London are saying that in the last eight weeks, the market has tightened so much. There's just no supply. There's nothing on because so many people who left London because of COVID yeah. have come back during the end of the summer 
because of this let's go back to work idea. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, you know, the, the UK is just full on now uh, in terms of people back to work. And it's impossible to find a place. And then if you think it's not just London, I was in Berlin, you know, during the week. I'll tell you about that in a second. Mm. And again, the same story, the Germans, particularly the Berliners, complaining that the market's tightened completely. It's impossible to find a place. And the rents have gone through the roof in those areas that are not covered by rent control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then you look at the figures. I'm going to talk to you a figure about in Ireland in a second. But you look in the United States, you've got extraordinary stuff going on in the property market in the States. I'll just give you something from, from, from the States, right? 63% of American home buyers in 2020 made at least one offer on a home they never stepped into. So people what? are actually making offers on homes that they've never even seen because they're panicking so much, right? In America, prices nationwide, house prices, have gone up by an astonishing 24.8% since March 2020. So since the lockdown, wow. 24 across wow. the United States, right? Also, one in 10 American households in need of housing are stuck on waiting lists for as long as five years, right? Oh, what now, are they doing on the waiting list? Are they people homeless? Are, people are going to trailer parks. People are homeless. People are bedding down in people's America houses. America would be the one place in the world I would hate to be homeless. There is no safety net. There's no nothing. Well, I think, you know, what, what we're seeing is, you know, the way we talk about Irish property, and we will in a second, but what we are seeing all over the world, there was a New York Times article during the week which I wrote, which, or I read, which basically said, you know, will the real estate market ever go back to normal? So in every major city, in London, in Dublin, in New York, in Berlin, it's exactly the same thing. San Francisco thing. is... A, but clearly San Francisco is much worse than anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, But that... The property market has, so traditionally, John, the property market and the general economy kind of went together, right? Mm. The economy would grow, people would come into, the, into that city where it was growing, property would be built, and eventually things would catch up. But now what we see is this extraordinary kind of dystopian world where getting a house, getting a place to live is now much more difficult than getting a job or getting a career. And for a certain generation, for example, the millennials or the younger millennials, they have a precarious career, right? Where they're kind of got jobs, but they've, they've been asked to do interns for free and all yeah, that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole gig economy. And they've yeah. no place to live. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an, an, another extraordinary statistic, right? The last time the United States saw such rampant price growth was in 2005, house price growth. Markets corrected infamously. In 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of warning, you know, what happens when prices rise? It's very, it's, you know, lots of economists talk about, you know, this is an exception, this time it's different, right? When prices go out of whack with respect to income. So mm. income has to be the foundational price. Yeah. When house prices or rents go miles above income, either income has to rise very rapidly to catch up with that. Yeah. And the only way income can rise in society is pr productivity rises very rapidly. The only reason productivity will rise very rapidly is this huge injection of capital intensity, which drives up people's productivity. That ain't going to happen. So what you have is increasingly, increasingly high prices, right? Every time the price goes higher, the chances of a crash increases. And I'd always get people to remember the great expression or the great observation 
that even though it seems that these are good times to buy, because if you can afford that, you'll think, oh my God, prices are going up. Yeah. Normally in economics, the worst decisions are taken in what feel like the best of times. And the best decisions are taken in feels what the worst of times. And right now, if you can, and this is why we were talking about the buyer strike earlier on. Yeah. You would be mad to chase this market up, right? Now we're going to talk about in a sec what happens why it's going on. Because what we have is a very strange thing going on at the moment, John. All over the world, just when people need more houses, what we have is more and more people objecting to more houses. Yeah, which seems bizarre. Well, it's got to do with what I would call the contented class. So Marx was right. All politics is class war. But there's various different classes, not just the working class against the middle class, the middle class against the upper class. Yeah. I think what has happened in societies that have become broadly more middle class, like our society and the majority of the West, is that the middle class has actually split into various different subsections. And there's one class that I would call the contented class. And the contented class object to almost everything. And the reason they're the contented class is they've done very well over the last 30 years. So their house prices have risen. Mm. Their children have got pretty good education. They tend to be older. They tend to be the older middle-aged people. And basically what they've done you mean is us? not as old as us, right? <laughs> right okay. okay. But what they've done is they've done very well. They're contented. Mm. Things have gone well, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Jobs have gone well. Careers have gone well. Their lives have gone well. They are much richer than their parents, right? They are now pulling up the drawbridge to those behind. So what they're saying is, we live in a really nice area. Nobody else can live here. Yeah, yeah. And what we're doing is we're throwing up objections based on kind of bullshit, right? But deep down, the objections are, this is our area. And typically what happens is, if you do well, you live in the area with the best schools, best public transport, the best views, the best public parks, the best hospitals, all those sort of things. This is back to the idea of Henry George, yes. who always said that the house isn't the value, the site is the value. So imagine those areas in every city, right? We know Dublin, but if you're a London listener, if you're a Canadian listener, or if you're an American listener, you can identify those places in your own city, yeah. right? Those areas that the contented class live in are typically the areas that have by far and away the greatest objections to new people. Now, one of the problems with urban living is the following, is that since the 1980s, we've seen a massive, massive flight from the countryside to cities in every country, okay? Yeah. Not just Yeah, that's here, a global but, phenomenon. But, and particularly in the developing world, right? The problem with cities is there's two people who might live in cities. There's the people who live in cities today and there's the people who would like to live in cities. So think about in Ireland, there's all the people who would like to, let's say, live around here in Dunleary. Yeah. And then there are the people who live in Dunleary, right? Now, the problem is the objecting planning process only listens to the people who already live there. Yeah. So the people who already live there, by virtue of age, which is serendipitous, have a right to object. The people who want to live there have no voice. So, for example, if you want a development around here or anywhere in the city, okay, the people who will actually benefit from the development, which are people who don't live there, yeah. have no voice as to how the society or the city designs itself. So only the people who live there have a voice, so they object. 
Yeah. And they object on all sorts of there, crazy there, there grounds. There is a certain amount of logic there, though. I mean, if, if you were to take that to the nth degree, you know, then I could start objecting theoretically to something that's going on in Balana and Mayo. No, but what I'm saying is that if you strangle the development of a city and anchor that strangulation in the people who existingly live there, right, it means that nobody else can live there. Right? Yeah, no, no, I get that. So that that the people who want to live for the young people are paying a tax. And that tax is going to us, the older people who are objecting. Mm. So we're squeezing them out of the market. Now, of course, the question is, where do they go? They can't go anywhere. So what they do is they end up on waiting lists in terms of if you are on the public housing. Or they end up buying really expensive second-rate places. And that we see is happening all over the place. So this podcast, we want to talk about the property market, objections, nimbyism, the contented class, and how the Western economy, it's an amazing thing. We have solved so many problems economically over the last 40 years. And yet the one that seems to be the hardest problem to solve is the one that should be most easy, which is building houses. Yeah, but before we before we get there, Mac, I do want to say that the one bit of good news that seems to be progress. Oh, thank you, John. Is there good news? <laughs> there is. There is. I was reading during the week that Pascal Donahue announced that he'd be looking into the vacant property tax as soon as possible, whatever the hell that means. My message to Pascal is just do it now. Well, it's absolutely, by the way, for non-Irish listeners, Pascal Dunn, who's the Minister of Finance here in Ireland. Uh, yeah, I mean, Martin Luther King had a great expression. So in, in, during the civil rights movement, uh, the kind of well-intentioned white people in America were saying to mm. Martin Luther King, look, go slowly, go incrementally, bring everyone inside, create coalitions, yada, 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 and we're all going in the right direction. But Martin Luther King looked at him and said, yeah, but you're white. I'm black. I'm actually the person who's suffering here. Right. And he came up yeah. with this great expression called the extreme urgency of now. And it was a wonderful speech that he gave based on this notion that the urgency is now. It's yeah. not tomorrow. It's not the next yeah, day. Yeah. The future can look after itself. Yeah. We're not waiting for an Accenture report. Ex- well, <laughs> the problem is you probably will get an Accenture report. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Paid for by the taxpayer. Exactly. To do what we already exactly. know should be done. So let's embrace our inner Martin Luther King, the extreme urgency of now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mac, just before we get into talking about property and housing and all that good stuff. What are we learning in this lecture and the course? We are learning, John, about the myth of barter. So basically the idea is barter, which all economists and economic students learn about. Yeah. And if you do economics 101, which the Americans go like in first year or second year in yeah. university, even if you do monetary economics in third and fourth year, your foundational idea is there was barter, then there were coins, then after coins came commerce, after commerce came yes. letters of credit, then there was paper money, and then you get to banking. Yeah. All bullshit. Really? Yeah. So this is the amazing thing. There's no archaeological, anthropological, or historical evidence that barter ever happened. Wow. So the whole thing about the course is to try and look at the myths, shatter the myths, rebuild the truth, and get people to think in a way that they've never thought before which is that economics, if you start with these bizarre assumptions that academics give you, you're probably going to end up in the wrong conclusion. So we start with the myth of barter. We're going to go back to the Congo, to the Ashtango bone, all sorts of weird Ooh, things, Cushing, nice. the Mesopotamians. But the idea is that if you want to get to understand crypto, if that's your bag right now, yeah. our exchange rates, our interest rates, our money in general, you got to make sure your starting point is realistic. Because if your starting point ain't realistic and it never happens, you can sure bet that where you end up is inconclusive and probably wrong. So join us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams to learn all about money, trade, and international finance. And the first Wednesday of every month, we have a new lecture. Lecture, notes, reading lists, videos, the whole thing. Okay, Mark. So, so let's get into it. Last week you were in Berlin. And oh, you, were, you were telling me stuff about it. So, I was. I'll just tell you, just briefly, nothing to do with housing, though. I was in the Hansa studio. Oh, I was in yes. the room I'm, that I, David Bowie recorded. Heroes, imagine that. I know, right. I know. And it's 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 one of those places that is on my bucket list as well. Well, you have to go. Lucy graduated from music college in the Hansa oh, studios. That's, that's Isn't that cool. so cool? And I went into, I was in the room, and I mean, you could see it. All of them really got that this is this is like the tabernacle. Yeah, this is the tabernacle for musos. So you'd imagine I was I was just picturing Bowie's there, Brian Eno's there. Yeah, what's the other guy that they worked with? Tony so I'm imagine and imagine. So so Lucy's getting graduated there. Yeah, the room. So you go into the studio. It's also where you two recorded Actung Baby thirty years ago. This week? Yes, that's right. right. So, I te- I, well, tell me, go on, tell I, me. I, I could go off go and on one about- Go on, go off, go but, off. But they, they use that room so well in, in Acton Baby. I could well, sp- talk about it for hours, but I'm not going to. No, you can, you can, you can. It's our podcast. We talk about whatever the hell we like, okay? But it was, it was, it was fascinating. Uh, just being in Berlin and and in that room and knowing you're, you're Nick Caves, you're you too, you're, you're, you know, you're, Bowie, all these extraordinary, Iggy Pop, all Iggy these Pop. extraordinary and then performers. All the, all the Krautrock stuff as well. Yeah, Nina, Nina Hagen and all those. <laughs> sort of 
<laughs> well, craft works work there. Yeah, I mean, but you can sense. So, so it is a big Art Deco building, mm. right? So it is the place where, for example, lots and lots of the Nazi stuff was also recorded. Right. Be- oh, right. Of yeah, course. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it has a, it has a like everything in Berlin. It has a dark, dark history. Yeah. Another odd thing is speaking of Berlin, COVID. So I was going to lunch in someone's house last Sunday, and their elderly mother was going to be at lunch. So he said, "Look, the host said, look, mm. do you mind just getting a test as a precaution? He said, I know you're vaccinated, but do you mind just getting a test? So you just Google." I mean, I was, I was, I was around the Hansa studio right, in mm. Mitte, okay, around Potsdamer Platz, as David Bowie would sing, right? right. Okay, <laughs> around there. And anyway, you just Google and it says, yeah, there is a testing center. But the testing center is a porta cabin. Right. And it was an African medical just student. Just inside the street. So outside the street, a porta right. cabin. Okay. It's free. Well, it was, I, I used Lucy's address. Oh, it shouldn't have been free. Yeah. So, we're, we're Berlin residents, right? Okay. It's <laughs> typical, right? But so it's free for Berliners, for Germans, right? You go in, get the swab. In 15 minutes, you get an email, whether you're positive or negative, right? Then what it does, it gives you the permission to go to that house, Mm. knowing that you've done what you have to do. This is the interesting. It's not that antigen tests are an alternative to vaccines, Mm. right? Not at all. But what it does is it gives you some sort of sovereignty, some sort of control over your life that you're doing. Yes. You're doing what you're doing. Like you're, you're saying, I'm taking control here. So... I think why it works is it's that idea that you are a sovereign individual and you are taking responsibility for your own lives, right? Whereas the lockdown thing, which unfortunately seems to be maybe a couple of weeks away, it's right? coming back, yeah. Is I hope it isn't, but it might too, is a very blunt instrument. And what I think why it makes people angry is it takes away the link between your own behavior and your own life. What antigen testing does is it gives you the sense that you're doing the right thing and you're slightly in control. And if you look at any sort of deep psychological surveys of humans, what humans really want is control over their lives. So one of the problems, you know, if you think of when 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 you talk to people about poverty, the vast majority of respondents say, I have no control. I don't feel that I am sovereign individual because I've constantly got to work. I'm constantly just at the end of my patience. And I've yeah. always said, the other way I always talk about one of the dilemmas of poverty is it robs the future, it obliterates the future, mm. that you've no control over tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And I've always think that the difference between well-off people and not well-off people is time horizons, that people who are well-off can make plans so they have, I am in control of my life. Yeah, sure. And I can say in six months' times, I want to do this, right? And that gives you autonomy. When you're not in control, you're totally at the beck and call of somebody else. Mm. So control for humans is really critical to our sense of well-being. And then when you look at the pandemic, what the Germans, and the Germans are no by no way ahead of us. I mean, they have a mad and huge but anti-vax They have a massive movement. spike at the moment. They have a massive anti-vax movement. Yeah. In actual fact, German-speaking countries which you wouldn't have thought. So Schweizer Deutschers, Austrians, and Germans seem to have a huge anti-vax movement. I don't know why this is. In fact, see, the Austrians have made vaccinations yeah, mandatory. Mandatory, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, how are they going to police that? Are you going to grab people and fucking jab them? Like a copper's going to go? Well, they, 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 I suppose, I mean, they still have the passport. 
So you must have to use the passport for absolutely everything. everything. You don't have the passport. But now, go home. now, anti, now people who are not faxed are going to be locked down. Yeah. In Austria. So Europe is going to go into some serious social issues over vaccinations. What I just think is the like antigen thing is. Yeah. But I mean, we might too. I mean, it, like, like I've said it before, I made a deal, as did everyone else, with the government that if I wear the mask, wash my hands, stay out of public places and do the distancing and get vaxxed up, well, then we'll be okay. And you can go out and you can live your life. Now, if we go back into lockdown, they're going back on that. As you and I go out to the Olympia tonight to a gig (laughs) of a thousand people roaring, shouting and roaring. We have to be home by 12 o'clock. We have to be home by 12 o'clock, exactly. (laughs) But just the last thing on Germany, the chit-chat with my Berliner mates is all about housing as well. Right. Oh, it's not about COVID. Well, all of it is about COVID. It's mm. all about housing. And it's all about what has happened in Berlin. Two things have happened in Berlin. One, they had this referendum to nationalise the highest housing stock, okay? Oh, right. Uh, but Tell referendums in Germany are not binding. And the reason referendums in Germany are not binding is because a little man with a moustache used them in a binding way in the 1930s. So right. Hitler okay. used yeah. referenda. Yeah. As a way of galvanizing. So what's the, population. the point in having a referendum? They're, they're, it's a bit like remember we used to have that thing in Ireland, the the idea that before the abortion and divorce referendums, we do sort of citizens' councils. Kind of gives guidance as to where the nation wants us to go. But the right. reason the Germans don't want to make referenda binding is they're also, as we saw in Brexit, the main tool of populist people. So if you get like a 51%, right, yeah. then you suddenly obliterate the other 49% and you say the people, the will of the people. Yeah, yeah. And what the Germans have always, since the Nazis, been afraid of is that expression, the will of the people. Because suddenly you can turn on communists, yeah. gay people, Jewish people, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing. So they had that referendum. But the second thing is they've introduced rent control. And it's an unusual way they introduced it. They said all apartments and tenancies, but certainly apartments built before 2015 will be covered by rent control. And all apartments thereafter will not be covered by rent control. Right. So it means a huge... Why 2015? Because what they wanted to do is they wanted to take a cutoff point that wouldn't affect future building, right? Mm. And this this is quite interesting. So rent control is an interesting one because... What has happened in Germany is that the apartments that are within the rent control have seen rents falling. But the problem in Germany and everywhere else is demand is greater than supply. Yeah. So if you take out of the supply a whole chunk of rent control, it means the people who are in those apartments do really well. Okay. Mm. And that's the majority. And, and they're going to stay there. And they're going to stay there. And that's yeah, the significant yeah. majority, right? But it means that the people who are coming to Berlin today, right? who want to get an apartment cannot get one in the rent control majority sector. So they are now fighting in the tiny sector of new builds. And what is happening there is prices are going through the roof. Right. So it's again that idea, are you on the right side of the legislation or the wrong side? And that again is circumstantial. Now, many Berliners will argue, look, hold on a second. We need to look after our own people first who are existing Mm. and who actually were in those apartments for years. But what you've got to understand with rent control, you are making a discriminatory move against the new people and supporting the old people. Now, maybe you think that's okay, but what has happened again in Berlin is rents are going up 
and up. So and is up. The, the, the supply is really short in Berlin. Well, then, what is, is happening? What is happening is that uh, builders are thinking twice about building, and investors are thinking twice about investing, because the yield in the new apartments, mm. okay, the yield in the old. So, so basically, the old rent control sectors out of the market now. So if you and I go to Berlin today, we can never avail of rent control, right? right? So there, you and I go to Berlin today in order to find our way in the world. We are then going to, to record in Hansa Studios. Exactly. Could you imagine? We should do the podcast in exactly. Studios. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but we will then be competing in the non-rent control sector. Mm. And that sector is basically everybody who is not in rent control, is in the small sector and prices are going through the roof and they're not building quick enough for that. So when you say that that investors are being scared away from the Berlin market because the, the, the yield ain't yeah. good enough, is that not a good thing though in well, many ways? I, I, Compare yeah, that yeah, to yeah. like Ireland where we're just awash with these investors. Yeah, and, no, no, and, and that, that brings us, I see what you did there, oh. to the nub of the issue, right? Interesting, Lex, we'll talk about Ireland in a second, but because this is a worldwide phenomenon, another state, American stat, one in six homes, yeah. right? Which is 15% of all homes in the United States are now being bought by investors. So you're taking big chunks out of right. the market, right? Yeah. So now this brings us to Ireland, right? At the moment, there is a significant ideological battle going on which is all about appropriate owners. Who is the most appropriate owner? Is the most appropriate owner of a home the person themselves? Or do we have this market where we've got a rental market, a homeowning market, a state-owning market, a cooperative market? If you look at most property markets, are a bit of everything. They're like a patchwork, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. From charities at the one extreme end in the homeless sector to really, really posh, high-end, home-owned penthouses, the other, right? And, and everybody fits in. In Ireland now, there is a serious, serious groundswell of public opinion against these large investors, right? Yes. Now, I give, we'll go back to Germany, and, and I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. The German housing market is largely a rental market. The vast majority of Germans rent. The vast majority of Germans rent at a very, very low affordable rent. Those homes are owned by German pension funds. Yeah. So German pension funds, it's a really simple way of, it's a circular flow. I think we could go back to something similar. But in Ireland, again, I think ideologically we've moved in a certain direction. So what you have in Germany is a German pension fund takes, let's say, X amount of your income per year and says, we're going to put that away for your pension fund. What do they invest in? They invest in stocks and bonds, whatever, but they also invest in German real estate companies. Those real estate companies build the flats with your money, but the yield, i.e. the rent that you give them, goes back to them and goes back to you in your pension. So it's a circular flow. It's a Ooh, really, right, so yeah, okay. it's, a, it's kind of a hermetically sealed model. Mm. Very German, very old school, very corporatist, okay? And, and it works. Of course it works. It works really, really well. Now, it works really well as long as, and this right, is the okay. key, the pension funds are not in the business of private equity. They're not in the business of maximizing 
rents, maximizing returns. So they well, don't know what the purpose of a of a pension fund. Well, you see, the Germans, you know, it, it is if your pension fund is owned by shareholders, right? So this is the whole thing. So if you think, right, if your pension fund is owned by shareholders who are being driven by chief executives mm. who are being driven by their bottom line because their bonuses are associated yeah, yeah, yeah. with the bottom line, what you will get is what they call sweating the asset. So if the asset is an apartment, rather than give a fair fixed rent and have that tenant for 30 years, what you will do is you will try to jack up rents to dramatically increase your profit margins in any one year to make you look great and hopefully then to sell it on. This is what they call financialization, right. repackaging, private yeah, equity, yeah, yeah. all that bullshit that has actually been imported from Wall Street yeah. to us, right? Where shareholder value is the one dominant thing. The German pension funds, on the other, are much more corporatist, right? They, they come from this, what's called Rhineland capitalism. So you have shareholder capitalism, right, which is mm. the Anglo-Saxon approach to capitalism. There's a thing called Rhineland capitalism, which is the German approach, not Germany, Germany, Austria, to a degree Switzerland, maybe less Switzerland, certainly Netherlands, certainly Denmark, certainly the Scandies, ex-Sweden. All wealthy countries. Well, ex-Sweden, because the Swedes are really into profit. This right, is the great thing. Okay. The Swedes make, the Swedes pretend there's some sort of socialist thing, but they're actually very, very capitalist country, right? But all these central Germanic-influenced countries have this notion of a cooperative state, a corporatist state. Mm. So at the top of those German pension funds, you don't have some spiv wanting to flip on the asset to buy himself a house in Martha's, Martha's Vineyard, right? Right. Because so yeah, what you have is a German bloke who probably is in the community. One of the great articles I've read a couple of years ago in Die Welt, the English language speaking version of Die Welt, the German newspaper was, where are all the German billionaires? Germany has more billionaires than any other country, but you can't see them because they don't show their wealth. They're not flash. They're not flash, they're in the community. So to get back to that idea, so the German hermetically sealed construction pension rental model in Germany works. Something very, very similar works in France too, right? Right. But Germany is the sort of exemplar, which is why the Berlin thing is really annoying the Germans because it's broken ranks because American investment funds have come in and bought big chunks of it. And that has changed the dynamic. Oh, so okay, that's what's happening. Right. So come back to Ireland now. Ireland has the presence of these large American, British, other pension funds, yeah. right? Lots of people are saying, hold on a second. We need to be able to buy our own homes. This model of build to rent means that we will never own our own homes. Then Irish people are saying, well, this is not fair. The reason we're saying this is not fair is we don't have six or seven generations of renting as they have in Germany. We don't have fixity of tenure. We don't have fixity of rent. People can get kicked out on short notice. Yeah, yeah. And there's a sense that you're slightly not in the game unless you own, because Ireland has, since the foundation of the state, jaundiced so much economic policy to driving up house prices, to making people think houses are an asset, whereas the Germans think houses are a cost, like electricity. Right, okay. Right? So you yeah, pay yeah. your electricity bill every month and you don't think about it, so you pay your rent every month, right? Yeah. So nobody in Germany is thinking, oh, if I buy this, it'll go up by 10% or 20%, whatever. 
So what you have here in Ireland is superimposed on a house price, house as asset psychology is now a buy to rent reality. And lots and lots of people are saying this is not right. However, let's get to the brass tacks. The problem in, our, in Ireland is we don't have enough homes. The solution to too few houses is more houses, right? Sure. Okay. Okay, that's and logical. The, the solution to far too few houses is lots more houses. Yeah. So, because how do we build them, right? Do we build them by objecting to every single build to rent scheme? Because what will happen then is we will build less and less apartments, right? Or do we realize or maybe accept that this is part and parcel of a normally functioning property market that you've built to rent, you've home ownership, you've council houses, you've cooperatives, you know, you have the whole gamut. Now, I think at the moment, Ireland's real issue is an acute shortage of property. And it's not just, I think, I'm going to give you some figures from Daft. You know that? Okay. They, they write yep, yeah, from yeah. this week, right? The latest Daft report, John, for the third quarter, 2021, tells us that the nation's rental stock has fallen to the lowest level since 2006. Pathetically, Dublin has only, Dublin City, the capital city, 820 homes available to rent right now. In total? Total. In total. Wow. Okay. That's down 51% from this time last year. And half year. them, are, I'm, I'm sure, are pretty dodgy as well. Yeah, that? just think about it. They're, they're bound to be dodgy because they're really shite. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, because when the market gets tight, you end up renting shite. Yeah. That's actually quite a good... <laughs> That's 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 the, 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 the that's it. That's, that sounds like a Sleaford Mod song. <laughs> when the market gets tight, you end up shy. There are only two hundred and thirty-two homes available for rent in the rest of Leinster. The rest of Leinster, right? There's only two hundred and thirty-six homes in Munster. There's only one hundred and seventy-two homes in Connacht, Ulster, and there's only eleven homes for rent in Limerick City at the moment. Okay. Jesus. Now that is how bad the situation is here. So the solution to that is build houses, build apartments, build houses, whatever. Does it matter who owns them at the end? As long as if I'm looking to rent and I'm happy to rent, do I care if it's owned by a, an American pension fund? Do I care if it's owned by, I'm not well, too sure What if they're sure going to shaft you in a couple of years' time? So, Absolutely. So what you do is then it's be incumbent on the state to put in the proper legislation to protect renters. And then you square the circle. And, and you, why would they not do that? Now, that's the interesting question, because there's so much lobbying mm. from the property sector, from the landlord sector. You know, so many TDs are estate agents, right? If you actually think of it, right? <laughs> okay. I mean, that's just a fact, right? Yeah. So they need to change their mindset. But there's nothing totally dysfunctional about this housing market, except there's two things going on. One is the protector of renting. But the other then is what I would call the emergence of this crazy NIMBY culture. Like I'm a YIMBY. I want things built all around. Because yeah, I want yeah, to yeah. I want the more people, the more things going around, the better it is, I think, in, in this neck of the woods. But all across the political spectrum, from left to right, but particularly on the left, you see these objections to developments all the time. And it seems to me that if the objection is, we don't want those sort of people living here, 
if it's a kind of a posh thing, well, then yeah. let's have that discussion. If the objection is we have a problem with height and we think that Irish heritage is essential, have that discussion, right? If it is we think ideologically these homes shouldn't be owned by outside funds, have that discussion, but don't dress it up in all sorts of things. I'll tell you a great one. You know Baker's Corner up the road from us? Yes. Baker's Corner, the pub Baker's has been knocked down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? And uh, Antashka and People Before Profit have recently decided to have a go at a 276-unit student accommodation in Baker's Corner, which is beside the IADT, which is a yeah, college. Yeah. There's 4,000 students in it. But the grade was on the basis that it was of inappropriate height and it would prove to be a flight hazard for birds. Ah, Jesus. Six stories. Birds can fly around stuff. <laughs> I was imagine. I think I'm first going to sense there's something up there. They might go over it, right? You know, if there's it, one thing that we know about nature, yeah. is that it adapts. Evolution, John. Evolution. Exactly. That's the key. There's another. There's another great one. I mean, and this again is not, for our Irish listeners, our Dublin listeners. You'll get this. But if you're in London or New York, it'll the same sort of carry on, right? The, the Green Party is against lots and lots of uh, of stuff. The Social Democrats, the Social Democrats are against a development of 1,600 apartments in Drumcondra, which is two kilometers from the city center, which is exactly where apartments should be, right? They said it was deeply concerning, and they were deeply concerned that 70% of the units were one bedroom or studios. But one bedroom or studios is exactly what we want. We, uh, that's uh, what we need. Even more so, if do you remember Brian Moore was on the podcast yes, a, few, yes. a few months ago and he, he spoke, um, I don't know if he actually said it on the podcast, but he did say that there's a huge demand and a growing demand for one and two bedroom properties because an awful lot of people are splitting up. Yeah. You end up with single parent families and separated parents. And people are just not, our, our people are not getting married. They're not settling down. Yeah. They're not moving in. Yeah. So so, so the whole housing structure, we have been so hostage to the three bed semi idea that that's where everyone wants to live. But on the contrary, the whole Irish family size is changing. I'll give you one last one before we go, which is from Ranala. Oh yeah, go on. Oh, this is a great one. It's a NIMBY quote from Ranala. Ranala Village Improvement Group proposed a development on the basis that would, here's the quote, create a ghetto of transients with no community, life, or identity. When all else fails, you can always depend on Ranala <laughs> to come up with something like that. But the point is, we have a significant housing problem. That problem will only be made better by fast-tracking developments. That means that objections to developments and objectioners, serial objectors, are entitled to object, but those objections have to be based on something other than not in my backyard. And I'm not too sure if on the balance of evidence in Ireland that objections are actually driven by the greater good or for individual concerns. And this goes back to something very deep in our psyche. If you want to create a republic 100 years after independence, you need to have some sort of sense of communal identity. You need to have some sort of sense that if, for example, I oppose something and this increases my wealth or my value or mm. whatever, right? Who am I actually hurting? If you're hurting the community, then the notion of a republic is only skin deep. What we need to do is understand that there's only so much land in places people want to live. Those areas will become more dense. 
density is good for the environment, it's good for sustainability, it's good for all sorts of things. It mm. dramatically yeah. decreases the cost of public services because if you have a hospital in a densely populated area, it becomes more it's efficient. It's a 15-minute city all that, vibe, idea. all that kind of stuff. If you want equality, you cannot object to planning all the time. Because you cannot, you cannot say, oh yeah, I'm all for equality and I'm all for reducing income inequality and opportunity inequality, right? If you're for that, you have to be for more dense living around you. Because that's the very essence of equality. Because a home is something that people need. And without a home, you have no grasp on society. So it strikes me that all over the world, objections to housing developments has become the single biggest problem. And it's the one which is easiest to fix because all you've got to do is fast-track developments, explain to people that the more dense the community is, the better. And I think that over time, urban living demands less objections, less nimbyism, and John, more yimbyism. Yes, in my backyard. Yeah, and that, that's all very well, Mac. But, you know, just to be the contrarian here. People, you? Contrarian? People are Never. entitled to object. No, you're absolutely right. And and there are certain people have grounds to say, look, this isn't good enough. The design isn't good enough. Yeah. Or, you know, this will create some sort of hyper density and hyper problem, whatever. Or the apartments aren't actually fit for purpose because the regulations are different. I get all that. I get all that. But, you know, it comes back to this idea of Voltaire. Go on. Talking about never allow notions of the perfect bully the good. So progress never happens on the basis of perfection. So if you think of innovation, right? Innovation, that idea that we'll actually make something better, is always a trial and error process. You mm. tinker around, you experiment, you fail, you fail yeah. better, as Becca would say. And eventually you get to a position, right? And all innovations have opposition, right? And usually the opposition comes from incumbents. But the idea is that progress doesn't come from perfection. Progress comes from just being slightly better than the last thing, just this small incremental improvements. Mm. And I think that if we allow in housing the perfect to bully the good, we'll end up with nothing. And what happens in a society when a whole section of population ends up with that feeling they have a stake? Well, then, politically, and this is the key, politically, they will embrace something very, very radical. And radicalism is something that I think in our souls we should always be very, very wary of. Because it's like Konrad Adenauer, the German chancellor, after the rather radical Adolf Hitler. Mm. So the German chancellor in, we'll end in Germany. We started in Germany, we'll end there. In the new Federal Republic of Germany, he used to come into the cabinet meeting every morning in Bonn. The first thing he said to the cabinet was, no experiments. Don't give me experimentation. Don't give me radicalism. Give, give me, me what works. Give me what works. And let's do what works. Just at the end, listen, thank you as always to our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you. And if you'd like to follow us on Patreon or join us, it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And there you learn the course. 
reading lists, ideas, all sorts of extra stuff that hopefully will give you a better grasp of this bizarre thing we call economics. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 